Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're going to take a look at Ianthus Pitch Deck with Katrina Gugowski, angel investor and attorney. Katrina, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. And congratulations to my uh, Buffalo Bills on their division title, Go Bills. Sorry. Bills. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, first time since 95, that's something to celebrate, I suppose. It is something to celebrate, Josh. Uh, we'll get to the task at hand, though. All right. So uh, seven tips to a successful investment deck. Number one, identify the business plan goals. Number two, will they know their audience? Number three, do they understand the market? Number four, will they identify needs and roadblocks? Five, do they know what sets the business apart? Number six, will they introduce the team and products? And number seven, will they create a summary? Let's see if we can get a seven out of seven today. So Ianthus is transforming cannabis with a whole lot of disclaimers. <clears throat> Actually, one thing I did notice here is that uh, the deck is pretty busy. They've got a few slides here. Um, they've got like their pro forma financial uh, revenue in the uh, appendix, but then they go into depth with like two to three other markets for some reason that's not in the appendix. So. Uh, anyways, we'll get there. So leading vertically integrated multi-state operators, they're in 11 states, 121 million uh, population covered, 525 million of production capacity and 73 dispensaries with 817,000 square foot cultivation space. Hey. Yeah, lays it all out as your multi-state operator. Here we are um, primarily in the Southwest and then they reach you know, Florida and then some places up in the Northeast. So Gotham Green Financing, leading investor in cannabis industry and a strategic partner. So they have 100 million to fully fund the build out of their existing markets, 56 million funded. The difference, kind of their secret sauce maybe, is redefining the cannabis market. So well-located flagship locations with strong customer loyalty. They have major brand initiatives, comprehensive brand distribution, replicable operational leverage and experience management team. Let's see if they come through with all that, John. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, we'll see. So again, by the numbers, 120 million third quarter annualized revenue. So they have 30 open dispensaries. They have 73 licenses. So there's 190 licensed dispensaries with their products. They have CBD in 2,300 stores across 50 states. They have 1,000 SKUs available, close to 700 employees, and over 60,000 shareholders. Uh, big. Yeah. Although probably a lot of that is in California, right? I mean, you only need that one state. California is the equivalent to the fifth largest um, gross domestic product um, economy in the world. So that's really all you need is to focus on one state, really. So their current reach again, 50 states, $10 billion market size in 2019 with the $2 billion markets for CBD uh, is $2 billion cannabis is 10 billion. So mergers and acquisitions, that's how they've built a robust channel. So again, for retail dispensaries, 30 stores, 73 licenses, uh, and wholesale, they have 190 uh, channels, 23 doors for CBD, and then they're online. This is what we like to see. They are an actual business with an actual product with actual sales in stores. Yeah, then they kind of get into some, some advertising here, I guess. So some of their stores in Florida, Massachusetts, and New York. Um, 
bright open green yeah i mean there's still no windows which i think is weird for a lot of well, these that's because of the advertising requirements you can't have the product show through so why have a window all right so moving on to selling award-winning brands i got cbd for life and then they have like an adult and premium product line that um just launched this year in 2020. So they won the Hollywood Beauty Awards back in 2018 and the MPX, or no, no, High Times Awards in 2019. Somebody put some thought into that, that's good. So wholesale distribution uh, down in Arizona, Massachusetts, Nevada, and Maryland. Looks like they're able to penetrate Arizona 54% by comparison to Massachusetts at 31, Nevada at 47 and a penetration rate of 77% in Maryland. Uh, the bestseller in Maryland is a vape pen cartridge. Bestseller in Nevada is live resin. Bestseller in Massachusetts is flower and bestseller in Arizona is cured resin. I like this slide. This gives a potential investor a lot of information about what they are actually doing. And we rarely see this, I, I like this. Yeah, for how busy this deck is, I really like this slide because it tells you exactly how they're doing it, where they're doing it with retail and wholesale locations and products. And I mean, this penetration rate, I'm not sure where they're getting that, but these numbers are phenomenal because a lot of the other data we get from headset, BDS analytics and the like, um, you know, will show a, a brand concentration anywhere from, you know, somewhere competitive, uh, like here, Washington at 25% to somewhere like Colorado, where it's maybe 40%. So to get, you know, 30 to 77% is good. But then again, you know, you have a brand new state like Maryland with very limited rollout. So this is early mover advantages. That's the opportunity. All right. All right. Leader in cultivation and processing total capacity, 525 million worth of biomass at retail at 817,000 square feet. Um, I mean, where's that at? So Florida and Massachusetts, Arizona and Nevada. I mean, I don't know about Massachusetts, but the rest of those places are probably not the most optimal places to grow. Oh, well, that's why they're indoors. Yeah, that's really expensive. Yeah. So we'll see what, uh, you know, revenue looks like. But so here's one of the slides, you know, with Massachusetts kind of laying stuff out is probably should be in the appendix. Um, and then it talks about Maryland, as well as Florida, and then the Southwest overall. Two and a half million dollars a month in revenue for the Southwest, cash flow positive. Average revenue is over five hundred thousand dollars a month in Arizona. Not bad. I mean, it just went wreck, right? So that's going to be a lot of revenue going straight up. So they're expanding their production in Nevada. Seems a little late for that probably go to Massachusetts instead, especially with the lack of tourism. All right, so the Ianthus team, uh, the only long-term differentiating advantage a company has is its people. So they have a very expensive or experienced team. Maybe that was a Freudian slip to say they were expensive. <laughs> uh, Award-winning retail team, brand builders, and I don't know. I mean, are they going to show who the team is? I guess not. <clears throat> All right, what are the stakes? U.S. cannabis usage should look a lot like alcohol usage over time. The huge market. I'm just going to skip that. 
All right. So the Wheel of Fortune for Ianthus is step one, build a broad retail footprint. So this is probably slide one for me to tell me like who, what they're doing, um, what they want to do. This is a good intro for, for Ianthus. Build a broad retail footprint, delight the retail customer, innovate, creative products and brand uh, customers, distribute those products through other channels, and then drive growth through scalable, replicable uh, operations. I like this slide. Oh, I like the next one too. I love competition. This is great. Thank you, Ianthus, for giving us this slide. You might get a bonus point from me. Yeah, this is nice. So this is the competitive slide. We rarely get this kind of uh, straight com competition. That's that's good. That means that Anthus feels like they can hold their own by highlighting the revenue and gross margin, adjusted EBITDA, and annualized revenues multiples uh, for all their competition. That includes uh, Acreage Holdings and Columbia Care, GTI, Harvest Cresco, and Curaleaf. <laughs> So numbers don't look too bad. They're, um, they're kind of right in the middle, I would say. Uh, a higher gross margin than a lot of them. Um, revenues are on the lower side. Uh, multiples right in the middle and, you know, adjusted EBITDA, they're, they're negative. Uh, it's not good. But maybe through their, their M&As, they'll be a lot better. Yeah. So we get to some revenues finally in the appendix deep down. So um, from second quarter in 2019 to third quarter, not a whole lot of growth. Um, so they are growing at what 30 million for the third quarter of 2019. I like to see that growth. That that's a good slide. Oh, real actual finance financials, yay. Yes, yeah, so they had a net income loss of 15 million in the third quarter, 2019. As to be expected. They actually have a cap table, which I find interesting. That is lovely. A list their number of outstanding shares, options, warrants, convertible securities, and fully diluted shares outstanding, 297 million. And that is all. All right, so let's go through the seven tips of a successful investment deck and find out what score they got. Number one, did they identify the business plan goals? Yes, they did. They want $100 million to grow. They got a point. All right, number two, do they know their investor audience? Uh, yes, uh, this slide more so than most that we see on the podcast, uh, they had actual live financials, which we love. They uh, certainly set themselves out in relation to the competition, and the competition was appropriate. And they talked about what they were going to do with the money. Uh, they get a point. Good job on them. All right. Number three, do they understand the market? I think they understand the market. Uh, they spent quite a bit of time on with slides for individual states and how they are performing in each individual state. They talked about their brands uh, and how their brands are performing 
And uh, yeah, I, I think they understand the market. They get a point. What about identifying needs and roadblocks for number four? Uh, outsiders saying they need money to expand uh, and how they were going to expand, for example, through M&A, through original licenses. Uh, they didn't really talk about any difficulties that they may encounter in this process. Uh, and and that, that is a struggle for me. Um, they're big and they're in many states and they have a replicable process. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, a newly legalized state like Illinois is going to let you utilize that process. So Josh, I'm going to give them a half. All right. I'm going to override you on that one. Uh, because I think that without having more information on uh, the pandemic, without having, uh, you know, uh, the roadblocks of getting into the U.S., um, without, uh, you know, adding some issues with um, uh, sale leaseback options and the, the lack of cash flow or whatever, uh, I have to give them zero on that. Josh, I am also going to say this pitch deck was from 2019. So well, it came out February 2020. Yes, but this pitch deck was from 2019. But I do agree with your baseline right. statement that what COVID has taught us is to plan for the unexpected, and they did not uh, do that. Um, so uh, there, there's nothing about federal legalization of cannabis and the effect on the industry, etc. Hmm. All right, number five: knowing what sets the business apart. They kind of had their secret sauce in here. I think what they are was it enough? What they are trying to do here is they have both THC and CBD products, and they have premium and uh, budget products. That's great. Um, a thousand SKUs. Ah, that that sounds like an inventory nightmare. Um, so I'm going to give them a, I'm going to give them a half point there because. I think that that they are addressing it uh, and they are doing what they can and their sheer size. I, I imagine a lot of those SKUs are from M&A, uh, but um, I, I, I think that they are addressing that. Addressing it enough no, for a full point? point? Okay, half point. Introducing the team and products. Now we didn't see all thousand SKUs, but we also didn't see any of the, the members. So back to our, our point that we've brought up in the past about, uh, you know, the difference with the restructuring of MedMen, you want to know who's in place in order to get, you know, your money into the right, you know, places, right investments. You don't want it written off like Canopy and Aurora to the tune of billions of dollars. You don't want your money just burned. So addressing the team, I think is a huge misstep. You want to make sure to give people peace of mind, knowing that they're investing in a team that can actually utilize your funds and uh, made the right investments. So we did see some of the branding, maybe some of the products, but I think they missed out on entirely. What's your take, Katrina? I agree with you wholeheartedly, Josh. The failure to introduce the team uh, is fatal at this point. This is a publicly traded company. And the fact that they cannot disclose who the CEO and the up management it's fatal. All right. Finally, number seven, did they create a summary with a call to action? Yes, Josh, they did. Uh, except that, of course, it was their first slide. They talked about their raise. They told you how much they want to raise. They gave you some base terms for the raise, including evaluation. 
And then their very last slide was, if you have questions, call us. So I'm going to give them a point there. All right, that gives us five out of five, or five point five out of seven, which is a seventy. Well, I guess we can round that up to seventy nine percent. So not bad for Ianthus. Five point five out of seven. I, I think All right. the best thing for them to improve this pitch deck would be to include information about the team, uh, and that just it's inexcusable at this point, point. Um, and to at least touch upon the risk management aspects of this business. This is not a mom and pop. This is a huge MSO. And I am sure that they have given consideration to risk management. And all they need to do is a little blurb to acknowledge that it's a high risk industry and weird and wonky things can happen. Uh, and they would have gotten a point from me there, Josh. Otherwise, I think they did a good job and um, it was, it, I, congratulations, get on them. Yeah, not too bad. I would have probably changed some things up like this uh, Wheel of Fortune I would have put towards the beginning to kind of uh, emphasize where they're at and what they're doing uh, before things started getting really busy on their slides uh, to kind of emphasize that, uh, that their business plan goals. Um, but yeah, a couple other things, um, uh, you know, the, I guess they could have addressed the uh, the investors a little bit better instead of, you know, in the footnotes towards the end, um, a little bit more secret sauce. There are a lot of MSOs. So addressing um, the, some of the roadblocks that we mentioned about trying to get in the US and some of these key marketplaces and what team is going to bring them there and then lead, you know, finish with uh, FOMO, you know, leave people uh, having a, a fear of missing out, having some kind of, um, you know, call to action at the end would kind of summarize all of that nicely. Agreed, Josh. All right. Still not bad, though. 5.5 out of 7 is a good score. So until the next time, I want to thank my guest, Katrina Glogowski, angel investor and attorney. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out.